Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. Mox on the Mic, back with you another week. Chris Goforth, glad to be hanging out with you and super excited to, to welcome in uh, our guest this week, a guy that I have known uh, for a long time and a guy that is... Uh, uh, has been a, a mentor and a tremendous help and resource, not just to me, but to so, so many others in this business over the last 25, 30 plus years. And that's Larry Ward. Larry is, uh, in addition to being the longtime voice of the Chattanooga Lookouts, he's also the radio voice for Chattanooga women's basketball, a distinction that he has held now since going back to the consecutively since the late 1990s. Larry, earlier this year, back in the spring, it was announced that he would be going into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame, and we wanted to spend a little time today and kind of reflect back on Larry's time as the voice of the Chattanooga women's basketball program and some of his memories and of some of the games that he has seen and called. So with all that being said, let's get into it. Here's our conversation this week on Box on the Mic with Larry Ward. Well, Larry, let's look, there's a, a lot we can look back on, uh, in your time calling the, uh, calling the lady mocks, but, um, for those that don't know a little bit about the story of about how you wound up first in Chattanooga. Well, that's, <laughs> you got a couple of days. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Uh, the long story short, I was here in 85 left and went back to college uh, sports at the Citadel. And then uh, I get a phone call one day and um, uh, it's uh, uh, Bill Lee uh, in Chattanooga in 1989 said, I need help. I've got to turn loose of my radio guy. Um, and I need to, you, can you be here for the summer? And I said, uh, okay, I had another piece of business to take care of. And um, it, it didn't work out. And I said, I'll not only come for the summer, I'll come for summer after summer after summer. And let's get started. And uh, we move. And here we are 32 years later, still in Chattanooga. And then how did it come about for you uh, doing women's basketball on, on radio? It's weird. Uh, that summer in 89, uh, I was introduced to Craig Parrott. And he came in the booth and we talked about women's basketball, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and he invited me to come to a practice the, that fall. And I'll be doggone. I went to a practice and I went, wow, this is kind of neat. Uh, it changed. I had not seen a women's basketball game uh, since I was doing high school sports some 20 years before that and uh, maybe 25 years before that. So um, I said to him, I said, what would you think about having your games on uh, radio and broadcast at home and away. He, I, I think he almost lost his eyeballs because his eyes got real wide and he goes, wow, uh, that would be fantastic. I said, well, let me do a little investigating. So I went around to some pretty uh, interesting people that were, that I knew were uh, UTC faithful. They were lookouts faithful. And I had uh, some of those sponsors and I rustled up enough money to at least pay the expenses uh, on uh, road trips and for uh, the TV or for the uh, radio and found a radio station willing to do it. Um, and in fact, I think the first year or two, we had WFLI, if I remember right. Um, and 
that's that's how we got started. Um, I was at a practice, and I did not know this, but I was at a practice at that time, and I and and, and uh, <laughs> Craig said, "Hey, uh, would you mind? Uh, you've refereed before." I said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Would you mind refereeing a scrimmage?" And I said, "Okay." The only thing that I didn't know is there was no 10 second backcourt for women's basketball at that time. Now it has since been reinstalled, but at that time it was, I blew the whistle on, on 10 seconds. He said, no, 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 no. We have a, we have a clock and we go by the clock, not the 10 second rule. I said, Oh, okay. So how embarrassed was I, but I learned something then. And then I asked question after question after question about women's basketball. And uh, Craig Parrott was my mentor in getting me introduced to women's basketball. And then of course, uh, uh, after three years, uh, and eventually we were on uh, uh, Jock Radio, uh, the station that uh, uh, the ball club owned. And and then um, after three years, it, it, it got a little bit more expensive to do. So I kind of slid out of the chair and slid into the public address announcing chair for about six years. And then if I remember right, um, Wes Moore came along and that's about when I think you were doing the games for a couple of years. Yeah, I was. And, yeah. And then, uh, then no games on uh, for a couple of years. And Wes called me up at home one day and cause I'd met him of course in the booth, et cetera. And I'd met him and he said, Hey, I need you. You got to do our games you need to do our games. And I, I say, coach, I, I'm just, I'm full. I've got all kinds of responsibilities to do. And after going to a game that winter, uh, I said, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I called him back. I said, I will do your games. Um, and uh, uh, part of the encouragement from that was with Frank Burke, who owned the ball club at the time. And it was his uh, backing that helped me do those games. And I sold all pretty much 90% of the advertising, et cetera. You know how all that goes and, and to help pay for it. And here we are uh, 25 years later, basically over 25 different, over 25 years, we've been involved with women's basketball. And that's, that's how I got started. That's how it's been uh, going. Um, you know, it, it uh, it's been a work in progress every year <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, I remember, you know, I've been doing uh, lookouts uh, away games virtually. And I remember uh, in uh, two years ago, we all of a sudden, 10 minutes before the bus was going to leave to go to North Alabama, we were told that we couldn't broadcast in, in person. We would have to do it remotely. And boy, we hustled around in a hurry over a day's time and did the ball game without crowd noise or anything else. Uh, but you know, it's been a lot of fun, uh, being involved with the coaches, uh, UTC's had seven head coaches. I've been, uh, honored, uh, to be with five of them. And, uh, I'm looking forward to the new year, new coach coming up. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. You mentioned seeing the, the game in, in 1989 or, or seeing a practice in right. 1989, how much it had changed. Uh, since the last time you had saw women's basketball, it's changed a lot since 1989 too, hadn't it? Oh yeah, I, I, it, absolutely. Now that, uh, you know, you've got the shot clock in the, and the, uh, 10 second rule you've got, uh, you've got better players 10. I, I, I'd be honest with you. I think the players each year get better and better and better and better. 
look at the women's basketball players who have played in the Olympics and who are in WNBA now is available and European basketball. It just, it's one of those things where it's nonstop now, where before um, you played four years of college and you were pretty much done. Uh, but that changed drastically um, a couple of decades ago, and it's been fantastic. I think for the ladies, the college game has just gotten better because of, like everything else, you want a better football team regardless of whether you're playing FCS or FBS, and you strive to get the coach and the people that can do that. You do the same thing with basketball, and women's basketball is, even, I think, has worked as hard or harder in some cases, depending on your school, but harder to make it improve, to make it fun to watch and to make it successful on the scoreboard. We, we talk about how far the, the women's game has, has come since that time, uh, obviously bigger, faster, stronger, all of those things uh, kind of compare the women's game today to the one that you saw in, in 1989? Hey, I, well, I think the biggest thing is the size of the players, uh, not only at UTC, but all over the women's game. Uh, you've got players that are six, four, five, six, seven. Sometimes uh, you've got players whose agility, even though they might be smaller at five, four, five, five, but their agility and ability is ten tenfold of what it was in 1989. Uh, it just it continues to improve. They they do camps sometimes in the summer. They work they work individually in the summer. Uh, uh, they are schooled, I think, stronger in the abilities with better coaching, and the coaches have gotten better at coaching than just throwing a ball out there and, and or going through drills and then deciding, well, that's going to be enough for after an hour and a half. And, you know, let's take it to the shower and we'll do this again tomorrow. Uh, I think that is a huge part. And I think another thing that is a prompted success is the exposure. Not only uh, did UTC not have a, a radio broadcast on a regular basis, game in and game out, year in and year out uh, until, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just stating a fact until I came along and produced that. Uh, I know there were games, spotty games off and on uh, prior to that, but uh, most, a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of it, most of it was men's on a regular basis and then a few TV games. But um, I, I just find that the whole game itself has matured to wanting to be successful. In some cases, some of those people have, you know, uh, bent a rule or two to be successful, getting caught at it. Uh, but I think the whole thing has been a challenge to be successful, to be honest, uh, to be creative, and to be involved with your players and your, co and your players with your coaches uh, on a regular basis. And trusting in that faith, trusting in that work, trusting in that uh, uh, commitment uh, to come back and help you in the long run down the road in the game of basketball or in the game of life, for that matter. You remember those days of 
playing in McClellan gym for women's <laughs> basketball. And then there's been times where it was split and you played a few games in big Mac and a few games, uh, across the street in the McKenzie arena. Now it's everything inside the McKenzie arena. How big of a impact do you think that has had on the program in being able to, to play in that venue? Well, I, I think it's been fantastic. You know, uh, I am told, or and I, I'm not sure if, uh, if Coach Moore explained it to me or whatever, but I am told he refused to play all his games uh, in Big Mac, and that eventually he was going to play in uh, McKenzie Arena. And, uh, you know, I, I think with a, there again, there is a coach who was committed to improve his program, to improve his game, his players, and to improve for the university uh, a mindset of being successful. And in order him for him to do that, he had to move it to McKenzie Arena. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, schedules start improving with bigger and better schools. They, they drew crowds bigger and better. In fact, uh, if memory serves, I, I think for the most part, uh, UTC over the years set a precedence for drawing huge crowds. Uh, of course, they had a huge venue to draw them to, much more so than some of those places. But uh, to draw those crowds uh, to make it successful and to become uh, more successful at the box office and on the floor, because look at all the uh, the postseason accolades for Coach Moore. And then Coach Foster had a couple. We had a really, really bad crush with the COVID uh, coming along and interrupting. Uh, we were right at the brink of going to the to uh, the, uh, the tournament, and we get interrupted by all of this and shut down, uh, and and nobody knew were we ever going to play again. Quite frankly, I, I mean, I had my doubts, but nobody knew how disastrous this thing really was until the dust settled, and you're going, "Wow, are, are we ever going to come out of this? Is this going to get restarted? Is it going to be?" as successful. And I think in a lot of ways for the, the huge schools, it, it, it restarted quicker. For the smaller schools, it's taken a little time. And regardless of who your coach is, you cannot stop what's going to happen in the world or around your world. You cannot conclude that everything's a-okay. You have to be on your toes all the time whether it's in the game or whether you're walking across the street uh, or whether you're driving an automobile, it's the danger is around the corner. And we've realized this even more in our society. And I, I, I just really think that sports ties so many people together and the women's basketball uh, is a part of that. And I, I'm very honored to be a part of that and to help keep continuing to talk about it, chat about it, do the play-by-play, -play. Uh, do speeches, even if you want me to. I mean, but the whole idea is it's, you got to maintain the positive to override the negative. And this is, this is what's happened. So look, you were there for the, the NCAA tournament win over Rutgers. So obviously that's kind of a special moment. Oh. 
favorite memory or favorite mo- favorite moment for you uh, over these uh, twenty five or so years? Oh my gosh, um, that that was pro- that's probably uh, at the top of the list, and of course the championship after championship of the Southern Conference uh, is at the top of the list. Um, meeting some of the greatest coaches, uh, women's coaches, uh, of course, uh, Pat, not, I mean, Pat included, and then Gino and I mean, you, you just go, we were at Stanford, uh, one year. And of course they came to us, which we beat them too, by the way, which is interesting. Uh, but, um, uh, I think those are some of the things that stand out. Um, you, you really wonder why do you go to some of these places? We drove to Notre Dame. We drove in a bus, rode a bus to Notre Dame, which it was so cold up there, but what an awesome place to visit. I'd like to go back in the spring or the summer sometime, uh, and just look at it in its greenery. But what an awesome place to visit, and it was a great, great facility too. It just uh, the 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 memories just flow, and sometimes I remember correctly, and many times I remember not correctly. As a matter of fact, as I am corrected by certain people, uh, but I, those are those are moments that you just don't forget. You cherish um, the going to uh, Cancun when we went to Cancun, what two or three different times and playing down there and winning, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's just, and, and playing against some big schools, but the the win over Rutgers, uh, the way it was done, the excitement that was created is probably at the top of the list. And, and quite frankly, we almost turned around and won the next night against Vanderbilt, against a, 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 a former Vanderbilt coach who became a UTC women's basketball head coach. So uh, you've got all kinds of memories and the people, the fans that sit, sit behind the families, uh, they are, they are part and parcel of all of this that makes the game that much more fun to be involved with. Well, you, you mentioned it, that game uh, with, with Westmore against Jim Foster. Jim Foster is a, <laughs> a, a, a basketball Hall of Famer. Westmore will assuredly be there oh. at, at some point in time. Yeah. You got a chance to work with both of those guys. How were they similar? How were they different? Wow. Did you think stay up all night long and uh, thinking of these questions? <laughs> How are they similar? They are tenacious, both of them. Wes, very uh, um, boisterous on the sidelines and and very committed and very into the game. And as you well know, I think he's backed off a little bit since he's been to North Carolina uh, State. Jim Foster would walk the sideline with his hand on his chin or hands in a pocket or you know, whichever, and coached quietly, as I call it. I asked Jim Foster one time, I said, after the first year, after I got to realize what it would take to do a successful interview with him, and I can get to that story in a minute too, if you want. But 
uh, Coach and I were and, and Donna were sitting in the hotel lobby and uh, we were sitting and chatting and 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 I said to him, I said, I watch coaches, both male and female, prance along the sidelines and or jump up and down, et cetera, et cetera. You are calm, cool, and collected. You hardly say anything unless it's in the huddle on a timeout. And he said, coaching is done in practice. Practice makes perfect. Coaching is not a perfect science, but my coaching is not to do it along the sidelines. It's encouraging and being present. And in the huddles, we'll, we'll go over things. But you coach during practice, and that's how you coach for a game coming up. You don't do it, in his words, you don't do it physically on the sidelines. And those are two of the, totally the opposite uh, type of people. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to compare some of the others, they're kind of a mixture of those two people. A little excitement, and then you calm and cool and collected uh, so that the kids don't, so the players don't get all uh, befuddled and discombobulated, if you will. I love that word, discombobulated. So uh, those are things, uh, the difference between those two people. So how tough was it uh, to get Jim Foster to open up during an interview. <laughs> okay. You asked the question. Not everybody knows this story. I, I, I may have already told you, I don't know, but so we are on the road somewhere and it was the first year and, and, uh, coach's wife, Miss Donna would go on a lot of road trips with us. And I was just frustrated as all get out, especially on our post-game, uh, pre-game. And Coach just acted like it was a bothersome thing for him to do an interview. So I went to Miss Donna in the lobby. Uh, it may have been in the, at the tournament. No, it was before that. I, anyway, I went to her and I said, Donna, I said, I, you know, I'm perplexed. I've been in this business a long time. I've interviewed a lot of people, little, lot of different people, but I've never interviewed anyone as different as your husband. And she just kind of grinned out of one side of her mouth and she goes, you know, he's a hard man to get to, but he's not an X and O's man. He is an ask the question intelligence of intelligence about the game ask the question of coaching of intelligence about the game or not about the game at all, but about life. And went, aha, the very next interview we did, he looked at me like, wow, where did that guy come from? This is not an X and O conversation. After we finished uh, and we get down to the last, yeah, maybe minute and a half, two minutes of the game coming up. Uh, because in the meantime, we've talked about everything from Brussels sprouts to fine wine, from crossing the street backwards to climbing a mountain. Everything but about the X's and O's of the game of basketball and comparing it many times to the sport or to a sport and what creates the excitement and or the challenge of, of uh, exceeding and being victorious 
over climbing a mountain as in the game of basketball. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm getting the whole point across. The point across was a very easy man to interview, unlike a lot of interviewers who came to me and said, I can't, that guy, you can't interview that guy. And I just, I just said, yeah, I know sometimes it's very tough. And I walk away because that's, that's the way it was with him. And once we got that down, man, oh man, those, those, those years just went flying by for pre-games, post-games, on the bus, what have you. He's a very intelligent man and he expects, he does not like yes and no questions. He does not like X and O questions. He likes to have somebody think because he thinks all the time. And that's how uh, we got to be pretty good chums when it came to interviewing. Yeah. And I've always said, look, if you needed a restaurant recommendation for just about anywhere in the country, coach Foster was the guy you went to because he absolutely had a, uh, a memory of restaurants in every town, I think across the country that he could, he could go to and tell you where, uh, where all the good places were to eat. There is no doubt about that and tell you not where would they, where good places are to eat. He can tell you what's on the menu. <laughs> and that's even scarier. I went to, you know, as you know, I, after the baseball season's over with many, many years, I always used to travel out to Oregon, see my folks, see the, the uh, grandkids, see my youngsters, etc. do some fishing, doing some hunting and just enjoy a couple of weeks away from the, the baseball thing. And he, he got wind of the fact that I was going to Oregon. He said, Hey, I said, what? He said, bring me back a couple of bottles of that Oregon uh, uh, wine. I can't remember the, exactly. It was, a, it was a grape color, whatever. And I said, oh, okay. And uh, so I did. Uh, there, not too far from where my folks live on the Oregon coast. There is a, uh, it's not a winery, but it, it sells winery made home, uh, Oregon made grape, grape wine. Uh, and I would go there and I, I would purchase a couple of bottles. And of course I was in and out a couple of times and he would say, Oh man, I got to Give me the name of that place. I've got to order some more because <laughs> he was a wine connoisseur. He wasn't a lush by any means, but he was a wine connoisseur and he enjoyed sharing that with other people. I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I have tasted some of the wines that he drank and, and, you know, I, to taste some, that's great. But uh, he is a connoisseur of a lot of things, food, wine, people, when people are intelligent, not overbearingly intelligent, but are intelligent in the questions they ask. He is a man of intrigue, but a man of honor. And I've never seen him ever yell and scream at one of his one of his players up to the point of where that makes them just break down and want to go somewhere else. I've seen him discuss with them. I've seen him raise his voice with them, but I've never seen him chastise them to the point of tears or wanting to leave his program. And I'm going to tell you what, he is a gentleman all the way through. And uh, it took, it took me a while to get to the inside of Jim Foster, but it was fun once I did. 
Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. Congratulations on that. What does this mean for you? Thank you very much. I, I am very humbled uh, to have uh, be being bestowed the honor. Um, you know, I've been in this business 50 years. Um, you, you don't get into the business for accolades. You get into the business because you want to help. The business we're in is helping people. You don't lift them up in a, and put and help them to their wheelchair, although I have done that. Uh, but you help them in ways that they don't even know you're helping. You help them in ways that they want to be helped, but they're afraid to ask. So you volunteer or you uh, cover a story or you do sports or you whatever it is. And I've spent 50 years doing that. And I guess it's finally paid off. Um, there are a lot of people who will one day be in the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. But we're talking about going in with people like a Luther Massingale. Um, um, people who not invented radio, but people who made radio what it is, not just in the state of Tennessee, but worldwide. People who own stations, people who were entertainers uh, that are in the, the Hall of Fame. And when you stop and think about it, that's what we are, are entertainers, regardless of whether we spin records, uh, we uh, do sports, we cover the news. You're an entertain entertainer when you're in the, the radio business. And to be classified uh, with the, the guys that are locally with, uh, you know, Tommy Jett and Luther and uh, I go on and on and on uh, because several guys have already been honored from Chattanooga. I feel fortunate in that I've spent over three decades in this state broadcasting, most of it based, most of it sports, all of it sports, really. Well, I did fill in a couple of times for, um, uh, for Jerry Pond at his radio station when he had it over on the street where it was anyway. Um, but it's one of those things where you say, thank you with all your heart, you say, thank you. And that you are humbled and proud to be a part of something so, so valuable in the minds and souls of each individual that's there. And yet each one of those individuals continue to do their best to help. If you help, you don't need help. If you need help, those people are, are, are right around the corner. But I think the, 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 the thing is, is that it's a recognized profession. The radio industry is not dead. A lot of people have said it was gonna go away because of all the TV and yada, 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 yada. Radio will live forever. It's the mind-boggling, mind-changing, make you angry, make you happy, make you sad, make you cry, make you laugh, medium that you can't do 
but except in the mind of people with radio. You can do it on TV, physical, yeah, uh, you know, Pratt Falls and all that stuff. But in radio, it comes to you in your brain, in your mind, and it paints the picture, and not everybody paints the same picture. I listen to uh, old radio shows from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, mostly 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I listen to some of those shows, and I, my mind is back to where when I was a youngster listening to them. And it paints a picture in your brain, and you can see that person slamming a door, walking downstairs, driving a car, shooting a gun, whatever. You can see them in your mind's eye, and that's what radio is. And when we broadcast on radio, our job is to paint the picture so that the person, when they're sitting in their living room, feels like they're right there courtside with you or in the stand. And it's an, it's an honor of what you do professionally. And I am very honored as a professional in this business to be able to do that, to be able to love it to be able to survive the long days, long rides, airplane, buses, cars, whatever, and to be acknowledged for doing a good job in the business. Well-deserved, Larry. Congratulations. Appreciate your time today. And look, it won't be long till November will be here, and uh, we'll see you back inside the McKenzie Arena. I'm looking forward to that first tip. New coach, and we'll be uh, off and running. Thank you. Thanks to Larry for giving us some time. And again, congratulations to him on a tremendous honor heading into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. It's going to wrap it up for us this week. Thanks to you for being here. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Mox on the Mic and tell a friend about us as well while you're at it. For our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goforth saying so long, everybody, and go Mox. Thanks for listening to Mox on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review, and we'll see you again soon.